Now, the answer is walk by the Spirit. You got that? It's really that simple. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Thank you. Now, you can try to stay awake for the rest of the message, but that's what I'm going to say today. So here's the context. If you're newer here or you haven't been around much, uh, we've been going through Paul's letter to the Galatians. And summary of his main driving home point so far is this. Paul's made super clear that we receive righteousness and life, right standing with God and life from God, eternal life, only by faith alone in Christ alone. And that comes to us through Christ's death and resurrection and no other source. Christ's death on the cross, through his death on the cross, believers have been freed from the condemnation of the law, God's holy standard that says we must be perfect. We fail at that always, and so the law condemns that because the law, God's law, demands that we be perfect. So we've been set free from the condemnation of of the law and accepted as righteous before God apart from the law. So that's the glad news. Uh, The truth of the gospel that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, can be twisted, as every good thing can, into the opposite error from legalism. So what we've been saying, legalism is that belief that by there's something I can do, there's something about me or something that I can do to merit or earn God's favor or something that I can trust in other than Christ alone to save me, that is legalism. Or the opposite error, the other way the pendulum can swing in that, is what we might call license. So we we think of it this way. If there's nothing I can do to merit, earn, or deserve God's acceptance, and if by faith in Christ I'm completely accepted by God as righteous in His sight, on the basis of Christ's death to pay for my sin and his resurrection to give me life, doesn't that mean that I can live any way I please and still be right with God and have eternal life? Well, as Jesus' half-brother Jude said in his letter, that is to pervert the grace of God into licentiousness or to um, sensuality. It's to, turn, it's, it's to give us a license to, to sin. It's this error that Paul's going to correct in today's passage that we're going to look at in Galatians 5, verses 13 through 26. Galatians 5, 13 to 26. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not just a starting place for salvation after which we either got to come under the control of the law or after which we decide to live any way we please. neither, Neither one of those is the right response to the gospel. The right response to the gospel is living by the gospel. And we're going to see what that means today as we talk about walking by the Spirit. That's the same thing as to say living by the gospel. Living in the gospel means walking by the Spirit, and they are equivalent statements. So let's look at Galatians 5, 13 to 26. We'll read through that text. Galatians 5, 13 to 26. For you were called to freedom, brothers... Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, 
Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So Paul starts out by saying, don't use your freedom as an opportunity, as a base of operations to do what you want according to the flesh. To indulge our fallen, sin-warped appetites and desires. Instead of serving our selfish desires, we were set free to serve one another. To serve one another through love. What is love? We've got to define it because our culture gets it wrong most of the time. Love is the disposition to do good for others. It's not based upon what they do for us or what they have to offer us. Love is the disposition to do good for those who don't deserve us to do good for them. It's not based upon what they do for us or what they have to offer us. And what is the basis that Paul gives for doing that, loving, uh, serving one another through love? In verse 14, he tells us, he says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We are to serve one another through love because love is the summary fulfillment of God's requirements for us, the law. Now, if you've been tracking with us through Galatians, you might be saying, how could Paul possibly be basing the command that they should serve each other through love on what the law says? In paragraph after paragraph in his letter, he's been telling them that righteousness and life don't come through the law, but by faith in Christ alone. So how isn't Paul contradicting himself? No, Paul's not contradicting himself. He has said that we can't be justified before God by keeping the law because God's standard is 100% perfection. The law condemns and curses us every time we violate it. That's pretty tough. But Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That's the good news. He took the curse that we deserve for not keeping God's law. And we receive his redemption from the law from the law's curse by faith. And by faith, we are freed from condemnation of the law and slavery under the law. Now that we are freed from these things, we're freed for obeying the moral law. Not the old forms like circumcision, like Paul's been saying, but the summary of the law is this simple, love others in the way we love ourselves. So what has yourself needed this morning? 
Didn't you just meet yourself's needs? Did you have an argument with yourself? Well, no, I don't have time to take care of you. Most of the time, we just do what ourself needs done. We care for ourselves. That's what Paul means. In the same way that you would just take care of yourself, take care of others. Show love, show consideration, show patience for others. But there's a problem. We don't love others as we love ourselves. We still have this residual corrupt stuff called flesh. And when we operate out of the flesh, it gets ugly. Right? Have you noticed that? Has your husband or wife noticed that? Well, verse 15, he talks about how that can look. Verse 15, But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. We have conflicts. We hurt each other a lot, don't we? Sometimes we do it in overt and openly harsh ways. That's what was going on here, it seems. Some of them, at least, were fighting and potentially destroying each other. Sometimes it's more subtle and passive. Sometimes it's open and verbal. Sometimes it's through neglect and apathy. We so often and so easily hurt one another, that's mainly where the flesh shows up is is the way that we treat one another. Most of the time, that's where whatever our Christian profession uh, is when we're here, we can endure it for an hour on Sunday morning. It doesn't survive very long when we encounter other people outside of church, sometimes even when we're in church. Sometimes it's worse in church. So has Paul just given us an impossible standard? Is he, are we right back under the law? Well, no. He says, here's the solution for the problem, verse 16. Here's the solution for the problem that you have with living for God and, and serving others in love. Here it is. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. The Holy Spirit applies the power of Christ's victory over sin and of his righteousness to your life. That is your gospel benefit package. Walk by the Spirit. Submit to the Spirit. Yield to the Spirit. Trust the Spirit. Seek the Spirit's leadership in all your attitudes and actions. Just walking by the Spirit, we're going to talk more about what that looks like, but just real briefly, it's not, it's supernatural, but it's not mystical. It's not kind of off in some strange spiritual plane where you meditate yourself into some weird place of non thinking or where you just sort of, it just overtakes you. Walking by the Spirit is, takes work that He powers us for. And we do that through uh, focus on Christ. Prayer, scripture, church community. You knew that that's what's going to be the answer, right? We'll talk more about that and just how those things connect with walking by the Spirit. So if I walk by the Spirit and it's smooth sailing, right? Not so much. Because in verse 17, Paul says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. The battle for living the gospel is fought at the level of your desires. The battle for living the gospel, the battle for walking by the Spirit, is fought at the level of your desires. We think it's our circumstances, don't we? Our marriage, our kids, it's always our kids, or it's always, a, it's always the other spouse. Our parents, our job, our bad breaks we've gotten, pressures we're under, or lack of money, or lack of this or that. 
Now, these things are real, and they do provide the context where we need to choose. Am I going to walk by the Spirit or live according to the flesh? So they're not the cause of our problems, but they, they are the context where we must choose whether we're going to act by the Spirit or the desires of the flesh. Now, the answer to the problem that our desires are at war with one another, if you're a Christian, there's a battle going on in your life between spirit and flesh. The answer is not the, the Buddhist answer, right? The Buddhist solution is to try to rise above all desires. Try not to desire at all. Just overcome. Just no desire. Be done with desire. That's not it, because God's wired us for desire. He, desire, he, he designed us to desire Him, and He designed us to desire what's pleasing to Him. It's sin that warps our desires, and that puts us in conflict. That's where the mess comes in. So again, the term flesh refers to everything in you and I that is not based on trust in and love for God. Now, the bad news is that the desires of the flesh are relentless. If you haven't noticed it, you're not alive. They relentlessly attack. They're relentlessly calling us into sin. Every one of us who is in Christ is host to a battle between your flesh and the Holy Spirit. Every one, every one of you out there is a battle zone. So how's the battle going? I got an um. Is that... Well, let me just summarize for you Paul's battle. Paul, as an apostle, you know, you would think he would, be, he would have got it down. He would have figured it out, how to overcome the flesh. But here's Paul's statement, a summary of what he said in Romans 7. He said, nothing good dwells in my flesh. All right, that's a problem. I desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Man, is that a theme verse for most of us or what? The good that I would want to do, I don't do. That which I don't want to do, I do. Keep doing it. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. The law of God is not the problem. We're the problem. And therefore the law can't earn us acceptance before God because we can't keep it. I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see another law waging war within me. So I serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. It's easy to despair with that reality, isn't it? In fact, Paul himself said, Oh, wretched dude that I am. And he did say dude. He did. Not kidding. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? The good news that Paul points himself and us to is in Romans 8, 1 and 2. That might be on up here. Where he says, There's no condemnation... For those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. In other words, Galatians 5.18 is shorthand for that. So Galatians 5.18 says, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. If you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. That's what Paul, well, what he means is this. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, he's not passive. He's not just sitting back kind of waiting for us to act. He is actively leading us. He's like a spiritual GPS. Don't you love GPSs when you get it wrong? What? Recalculating, recalculating. And so that's what the Holy Spirit does for some of us more than others, right? Recalculating, meaning repent, change course, change your mind, turn away from that, turn toward the right direction. 
So the Holy Spirit leads us to obey God's family values, that is, to obey God's law. But Paul says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So what do you mean by that? Well, right, we're not under the condemnation and curse of the law, and we're not left to our own resources to try to obey the law, because that only increases our bondage. The more that we try to obey out of our own resources, the worse it gets. Either we become greater hypocrites, or we get more addicted to our sin. And neither one of those is a good option. So we are not saved through faith in the gospel of Christ only to be sent back under the law to control our conduct. That's what Paul's been arguing against. You don't come back under the law in order to keep yourself in line. The Holy Spirit energizes the purifying power of the gospel in us, that is, in our hearts. He takes the things of Christ and he makes them alive and real to us so that by the victory Christ accomplished for us on the cross and his resurrection, we should keep killing sin and pursuing holiness. Really, that's what we're supposed to be doing. That's, that's our day, and day, day in and day out lives. The Spirit... Well, the evidence that we are sons of God is that. And so, in Romans 8, 13, and 14, that may also be on the screen. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. If that defines your life, I just live according to the flesh, out of my own resources, without the Spirit of God, I die eternally. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. The Spirit will lead and enable you to be a killer of sin. That's evidence you're a son of God. Enable you to be a killer of your sin. You know, we often get more fixated on other people's sins. It's enough to deal with our own sin. That's all that we can be responsible for. So Paul describes the distinction between living in the flesh and gospel living by the Spirit, beginning in verse 19. So verse 19, he begins this great list. You're just going to love this list. 15 works of the flesh. 15 of maybe of your, I hope we didn't skip any of your favorite ones. But we'll look at them under four categories. So the first three, you might guess, are sexual sins. Uh, God is not against sex. Most of us got here by that means. He created it. He created it. But he designed it for the covenant relationship of marriage. This is totally non-PC. We are very non-PC in our views. He created it. He designed sex for the covenant relationship of marriage between one man and one woman. But because it was to be a powerful relationship-uniting gift, when you mess it up, when you don't do it God's way, it powerfully messes you up. Bad. It really warps. It's very destructive and warping. Uh, That's why this is often at the top of the list. These three things, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, Uh, Don't let our culture's proliferation of sexual immorality as normal and as an expression of freedom numb you to the fact that it's a perversion of God's good gift. We are so inundated by it, it's almost hopeless, apart from continually being refreshed. Oh yeah, this is what the scripture says. It's really great in God's context. But outside of it, it's dangerous and destructive. So those three, and then the next set of sins we'll call idolatry sins. That's in verse 20. And he mentions, too, idolatry and sorcery. So idolatry is anything that takes God's place in your life, devotion due to God, and uh, the worship of false gods. And sorcery is the word pharmakeia. We get the word pharmacy from that. Uh, It's occultic practices. 
Occultic practices and idolatry are works of the flesh because they appeal to our desire to make God or gods who fit our desires, who will do our bidding, who will fit what we want, who will be like genies that, that give us the things that we want, and they, they're like mascots for the things that we value rather than letting God be God. We want to manipulate and control God. And so that's what idolatry and occultism or, or sorcery are. So those are idolatry sins. The next group is the biggest one of all because this is where most of the time we experience the flesh, and that's in relationships. And so he lists a bunch of them here under relational sins. There are all kinds of ways to sin in relationship to others. So he, he names enmity, which is hatred, strife, which is quarrels, jealousy, which is wanting what other people have, fits of anger. You know, we're just flying over these, and so either you're going to really zero in on one or two, or uh, we don't have time to get into them all. But we all know what these things are. Rivalries, selfish ambition, dissensions, those are cliques, warring factions, divisions, heresies, opposing groups, groups that fight one another. And then verse 21 includes envy, which is a resentment at another's advantage. So this is where the rubber meets the road for are we going to walk by the Spirit or by the flesh is in our relationships with one another. And then finally he mentions sins we'll call indulgence sins, drunkenness and orgies. Uh, so we'll say what these are. Drunkenness, getting drunk or intoxicated or high, is a work of the flesh. It satisfies a desire for joy and painkilling independent of God's provision for these things. Rather than looking to God for our joy, looking to God for comfort, uh, we would rather medicate, self-medicate. It's not to say that all drinking is wrong. It's to say getting drunk, particularly habitually, but getting drunk or intoxicated, is a, is a work of the flesh. And orgies, really, that's not only sexual. It's talking about wild partying, drunken carousing. And it's always tied with drinking. So the word is always tried with, tried with, uh, tied with drinking. And it speaks of the chaos and destruction that comes from the out-of-control uh, things that can happen when we're drinking. So those are things, and he says and things like these. The list could go on. So if we miss one of your favorites, we really apologize for that. Uh, one of them not mentioned here is lying. And that's often a cover-up for any one of these. So that's a, that makes other lists. It just didn't happen to uh, make this list. Well, Paul says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, you may say, wait, haven't you been saying that Paul says, has been saying throughout this letter that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone? How can he now say that if you do these things, you're not going to enter God's kingdom? Is Paul now himself adding to the gospel? Of course not, because he's been radically saying, don't add to the gospel. No, Paul does not say we're saved by stopping doing these things. He's saying that if you are in Christ, in other words, you are saved by faith in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. True of every person who's in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, He will lead you to resist and repent. Recalculating, recalculating. Turn away from these things. He will lead you. It's not that you'll never stray, be tempted by these things, or perhaps sometimes do them. It's that He will continually call you back again and again to repentance of these things. Now, some of these things you may almost entirely defeat in this life, 
and others you may be fighting to the death, literally till the day you die. But fight them you will. That's what he's saying. And you will not just say, this is normal, I'm just going to accept it. You will not make terms of peace with your sin. Paul isn't saying you'll achieve perfection, but you will be headed in the direction of sin destruction. Paul isn't saying you'll achieve perfection in this life, but you will be headed in the direction of sin destruction. So we are saved by faith alone, but never by the faith that is alone. That is, we're not saved by faith that doesn't issue in a transformation of life. That's what he's saying. The Spirit does not only lead us not to sin, but he produces in us his fruit. And that takes us to verse 22. So in contrast to the chaotic list of 15 works of the flesh, now we have a much nicer list of nine fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit package, and it all comes together. And we don't grow in one without all of them growing together. So we don't pick, well, I'm okay with one or two of these things, the rest of them, no. No, it's all the fruit of the Spirit. And so, what does he say the fruit of the Spirit is? Fruit of the Spirit is love. That heads the list. In fact, you might say that all of them flow out of this love. We already said that love is a disposition. It's a heart attitude as well as action. It's a disposition to do and will good for others, not conditioned on their response or whether they deserve it. God is the source of love. God is love. Love is the source and fountain of the rest of the fruit, as we said. So this heads the list. And then joy. Joy is a delight and gladness in God, driven by hope in God. Joy is a delight and gladness in God. It's driven by hope in God despite, of cir- despite circumstances. And then peace would be confidence in God that overcomes anxiety and worry. Patience, calmly enduring hardship or hard people. Patience is calmly enduring hardship or hard people. It's not easily provoked or offended. How easily are we offended? How easily are we provoked? Is an issue of whether we have, we're bearing the fruit of the Spirit called patience. Kindness, showing goodwill and providing help to others. Goodness, generosity. Faithfulness, am I true? Trustworthy and reliable. Verse 23, gentleness. Gentleness is a submissive and teachable spirit toward God that manifests in humility and consideration toward others. Gentleness is submission and teachable spirit toward God that manifests in humility and consideration toward others. It's not weakness and fearfulness. It is submission to God that results in teachableness and humility toward others. And then the final end of this list is self-control. And that's mastery over one's desires and passions. So the Holy Spirit will give us this fruit. And uh, Paul says, against such things there is no law. Nothing that uh, can condemn us when we're practicing the fruit of the Spirit. What is the evidence I'm walking by the Spirit if this fruit is present and increasing? Evidence I'm walking by the Spirit is not necessarily spiritual gifts. It's not signs and wonders. God may work in spiritual gifts and He may do miracles. But the evidence that I am walking by the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. So we should pray 
that God helps us to put to death the flesh, be sin-killing, and producing the fruit of the Spirit. So what if I'm discouraged that I see so little of this fruit in my life? Anybody ever feel that way? Two people besides me. Good. We're in good company. Uh, Know that Christian growth, growing in the fruit of the Spirit, is gradual, just as the growth of apples and peaches is gradual. And growth is inevitable. It's going to happen. How that growth appears in each person will vary, but since a Christian, by definition, has the Holy Spirit indwelling him, there will be growth in the Spirit's fruit. And he is really interested in growing that fruit in your life and mine. So we... We're better when we, when we cooperate with him, but he has his ways of showing us and convinc- convinc- convincing and convicting us that this fruit is what we want and works of the flesh we want to kill. So if you got lost in everything I just said, tune back in for these last three verses because it re- recaps everything we just said. So verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Who belongs to Christ? Well, earlier in verse 20 of chapter 2, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. So if you are in Christ, you have been crucified with him. You've been united with him in his crucifixion. God has done that to us by uniting us to Christ by his, his spirit. We have participated in the benefits of his crucifixion. But what this says is, if I, am, if I belong to Christ Jesus, we, or I, have crucified the flesh. I have done it. I have crucified the flesh with the passions and the desires. So because we have been crucified with Christ, we also crucify the flesh. And what does that mean? Well, we've declared a death sentence on everything within us and about us that doesn't trust and treasure God through faith in Christ's death for us. And we long to experience the freedom from sin that Christ has purchased for us. And we pursue it. So we, we keep resisting sin, and we keep pursuing holiness. Resist and pursuit. Resist and pursuit. The Holy Spirit loves to give us the energy to do those things. And so that's the posture and the nature of saving faith. We are saved from sin by faith in the gospel, and we live in freedom from sin by faith in the gospel. But as soon as Paul says this, we say, but sin still comes so easy for me, and living for God comes so hard. Would anybody say that with me? Sin comes really easy for me, and living for the gospel, walking by the Spirit, comes really hard. It is so easy to sin, and it's so hard to walk by the Spirit. Now, some of you may be way more spiritual than I am, but I'm finding it easier to sin than it is to walk by the Spirit. So what do we do with that? Well, Paul says in verse 25, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. It is the Spirit who has made us alive to God in Christ. So let's walk with the Spirit. Let's keep in step with the Spirit. Follow the Spirit's leadership. Be in harmony with the Spirit. How? We're going to repeat what we said earlier. There's no magic formula to this, but it's... It's a transforming work that the Spirit does. He's, shape, he's reshaping and retooling our hearts, giving us a taste of what it's going to be like one day when we're totally sin-free. So in the meantime, we have to exercise spiritual disciplines where the Holy Spirit has said, I will work in these contexts to reshape and retool your heart. And so those contexts are 
confession and repentance. Do not pass go. Do not collect anything until you confess and repent your sin before God and others where that is relevant. Confession and repentance. Prayer. You might suspect that's part of it. The Spirit prays with us through our prayers. Our prayers are off target all the time in some measure. We don't know how to pray as we ought, so we need the Holy Spirit, but we don't sit and wait for Him to inspire us to pray. We pray about the struggles we're having. We pray about things that please God, and we earnestly seek the Spirit to work as we pray. We focus on Christ. The reason we do that is because the Spirit, His main work is to magnify Christ. That's why Jesus said He was sent to the world. He was going to take the things of Christ and make them very real and alive to us. So to, to walk by the Spirit requires constantly refocusing on Christ. I find that a challenge. It's so easy to not interpret my life in light of who Christ is for me and what he's done. And we have to keep retraining ourselves, keep refixing our hearts and minds on Christ. And also, um, Scripture, the Spirit inspired the Scripture, so we want to give him fodder to bring to our minds. We want to give him fuel so we don't sit back and kind of put our hand on our Bible and just hope something comes through. We need to continue to refresh and renew our minds in the Scripture. And you'll find the Holy Spirit will bring Scripture to mind the more you've got it there to be brought to mind. So, yes, it's the Holy Spirit bringing it to life, but we must be in the Word in order for the Word to be there for the Spirit to bring to our hearts. And He'll help us understand and apply it because He was the author of it. And then finally... Uh, Christian community. So we experience more of the work of the Spirit when we come together. Since the Spirit has differently gifted each of us, we need one another. We need to share our gifts. We need to share our lives together. Because when God saved us, the Holy Spirit united us to Christ, but he united us to the body of Christ, to his church. Not necessarily to any one particular church, but to the church that shows up in people who come together as local churches. He designed us to need each other, so we receive the leading of the Spirit way better together than we do alone. I guarantee you, you cannot grow very well, if at all, apart from participation in the body of Christ. And it's got to be more than Sunday morning. So community groups, meeting coffee with people who can help you, encourage you in the Scripture, you've got to have other Christ-seeking, Holy Spirit-seeking people in your life who can come alongside and whom you can commiserate with and encourage with one another. That's indispensable. So all these things, scripture, uh, Christian community, prayer. I know that sounds like, of course, you're going to say those answers, but there's no other ways that he's going to work apart from those things. And once again, Paul doesn't uh, leave us to guess what difference keeping in step with the Spirit makes. For better or for worse, he gets really explicit in the final verse here, in verse 26. We might wish that the application of keeping in step with the Spirit, because we live by the Spirit, that's what Paul says, because we live by the Spirit, let's just keep in step with the Spirit. We might wish it was more theoretical, you know, kind of nebulous and indefinitely spiritual, sort of, well, I sort of feel like I'm a spiritual person, but I can't really say what that means or that looks like. Paul says, I'm going to tell you what it looks like. It looks like this, or it doesn't look like that. Don't become conceited. All right, Paul, what are you talking about? Well, that word means boastful, or the old, older Bible versions would say desiring vain glory. And you might think, well, that's just for those really out, you know, self-centered, uh, boastful, outwardly boastful people. 
it includes that, but there are, there are two things, he says, the conceit shows up, and one is provoking one another. So there's one way conceit shows up is when we provoke and challenge one another. That's often the way we do it outwardly. We, we harass one another. We hurt one another. It's the pride in being right. It's when the issue of what's right and what's wrong isn't the issue, but our pride and self-serving attitude that becomes the issue. So we're so sure that we're right, and then it takes on a life of its own, and I'm right, and I don't care what anybody else says. It's our pride in being right or thinking that we're right. And the, another way our conceit expresses itself is when we envy each other. Now that's usually the more passive, subtle expression of conceit. It shows up in resentment and bitterness towards others when they seem to have an advantage that you don't. You can't rejoice in the apparent good that they, that they have. And you can't, uh, or the good things that you lack. So, you know, you're asking, like, why them? Why not me? They don't deserve this good thing. I do deserve it. So this, walking by the Spirit is really, really practical. It really comes down to the level of how are we conducting our relationships. And it tells me how impossible it is for us to really overcome conceit that provokes or conceit that envies apart from the Spirit's graciously applying the gospel to our hearts. It is impossible. Our hearts are so wicked. They're so, in in the flesh, we will gravitate towards sin in our relationships all the time. So this is why we need the gospel every day. In the battle against the deeds of our flesh and the desire to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, we need to keep in step with the Spirit every day, to walk by the Spirit every day. We can't, Start the day without it. We can't get through the day without walking by the Spirit. We need Him constantly, which is the same thing as saying, I need the gospel every day, because the Spirit is taking the gospel and applying it to our lives. That's what He does. And so we need the Spirit. We need the gospel all the time. Now, I'd like to close in prayer, but I will do that, but after you pray. So, what we're going to do is we're going to break up into groups. I know some of you love doing this, some of you hate doing this. It's going to be short. And you'll probably have one or two people in your group that will do all the praying and you won't have to pray. So, take rest. But in the light of these things, how would God have us pray? Kill sin, bear fruit of the Spirit. That becomes some good things for us to pray for our church and for each other. So just find two or three people next to you. Turn your chairs around. And within a few minutes, I'll call us back and I'll close us in prayer. So let's do that. Again, you don't have to pray, but if, even if you're not a Christian, just listen to what Christians do when they pray.